Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 111 is recorded live April 12th, 2012. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, and here's some of the articles we're going to have this week. We have Who Gets Titanic Treasures, The Race to Find Amelia Earhart, and then The Deep Sea Mysteries of the USS Scorpion. And this week, I'm going to be going solo. Uh, might, we might uh, volunteer a few people in the chat room if they want to come on a little bit later, if they have anything to talk about. But uh, we have Mac and Jim Schultz are both occupied. There's a presentation going on tonight at one of the local museums, and they're there representing the mud divers, so they're not able to be on tonight. And then we've also got Jim, who's back slaving away at work. Only one week of vacation here. He needs a, needs a little bit more vacation than that, so I keep twisting his arm. We'll, we'll try and get him on again as a regular. So with no further ado, we're going to jump right on into the news. The first article up is one that we teased in the beginning of the show, was... Uh, who gets the Titanic treasures? And as I would say, as always, but as almost always, I'm going to paste that into the chat room. Hopefully, I'm going to keep on course tonight and get those posted as quickly as I can, or at least timely as I can. And uh, it's it's hard to, to not fall into the uh, any Titanic stories on the news. They're covering it almost constantly. Uh, so the treasure, it's, uh, what they're what they're trying to do, and this is a continuation of last week's article where they have negotiations going on to see who's going to get all the treasures from the Titanic. Uh, they're valuing the collection at $189 million in artifacts on Atlanta-based Premier Exhibitions is trying to sell 5,500 items recovered from the shipwreck over the last 25 years. It is in discussion with multiple third parties to purchase the collection. A judge had ruled that the sale could go on, but it must be sold as a single lot. And the buyer must make the artifacts available for the public in exhibition and for research. So uh, deadlines for the sealed bid had passed over a week ago. And since then, the Premier Exhibitions has been weighing their options. Um, and uh, we won't go into Everybody knows when the Titanic hit the bottom. But as part of the collection is, is uh, the artifacts. There's also underwater video. 3D mapping is all amongst the property being sold. Um, as we covered last week, they say the Titanic is slowly being consumed by iron-eating microbes on the seafloor, and at some point in the not-too-distant future, they're saying it'll only be a memory, which I think they're saying that also to increase the value of the artifacts. Nobody knows if they're going to go down for any more. Um, one of the things is it's not clear if any more artifacts can be brought up. Uh, since we've got the 100th anniversary of Seeking, um, the Titanic will then be covered in a 2001 UN convention on protection of underwater cultural heritage. In a statement issued last week, UNESCO, U-N-E-S-C-O, said parties to the, conservation, the convention can seize artifacts taken from the Titanic and prevent exploration of a site that is deemed unscientific or unethical. Um, neither the United States nor Canada uh, joined on with that uh, convention. 
However, UNESCO says protection specified in convention are also ratified by an international agreement that specifically targets Titanic salvaged. And those were signed by U.S., Canada, France, and Britain. So they're saying after the 100th anniversary, uh, except for scientific reasons, you're not going to be allowed to bring up artifacts. One of the um, most outspoken critics of the salvage has been Robert Ballard, who, uh, while he was with the Woods Hole Institute, discovered the Titanic. Uh, And one thing I wasn't aware of was that, uh, as he said, he said, when I found the Titanic, I went to the courts and said, well, can I own the Titanic? And they said, yes, it's an abandoned shipwreck. All you have to do is go down and retrieve one object of saucer or plate or something, come in the courts and we'll make you the owner. But we'll make you the owner under one condition that you remove it from the bottom of the ocean. And he says, I was opposed to that. Now he says, I wish I had gone and gotten one more cup, brought it up and said, I want to turn this into an underwater museum. I take people there to go uh, through the technology we have now. And I really do regret that. Now, wouldn't that be cool or an amazing opportunity if he had actually done that and would have been able to have some sort of uh, control over what the fate of that wreck is? Uh, And then another article on the Titanic, they had a final cruise going out where they were trying to um, call the memorial cruise, and they were going to, on certain dates and certain times that corresponded with the actual shipwreck and the events that happened, uh, were going to do some memorial services. Uh, It has been delayed the first time the delay was due to weather. This second time, uh, they said that they had to hold up the ship to AeroVac somebody on the vessel. Uh, The vessel itself hasn't said who it was that's been air evacuated, but uh, BBC has reported that one of its cameramen, uh, Tim Rex, was airlifted by rescue helicopter as a medical precaution. So we don't have any more information on that, but that could have been something, you know, just, you know, you could, you could have appendicitis and as a precaution, they would take you off the wreck. So that's delaying things a bit. What they're expecting to do um, is there going to be a call in Halifax, Canada on April 6th and New York on April 19th. Uh, the ship is carrying 1,309 passengers including some relatives uh, from the Titanic uh, who uh, perished on the when it wrecked. Uh, two special memorial services are to take place over the weekend. The first is to occur uh, midnight, April 14th, when the Titanic hit the iceberg. The second is early April 15th, when the ship sank. And if you've been uh, watching anything on Great Lake shipwrecks, you probably haven't been able to avoid hearing about the shipwreck that the MSRA just recently announced. Uh, they had actually discovered it last year, as, as with many shipwrecks, it usually takes a little bit of time to do some conservation and, and diving and get uh, information on the wreck. The uh, It was a 19th century two-masted schooner found at 350 feet down off Grand Haven. And Grand Haven is where we dive on the wreck, the Ironsides, which is about 120, 130 feet to the bottom. This one's at 350 feet. Uh, they're, they're estimating that it was built in 1868, called the St. Peter, the ship that sank in 1874 while delivering a load of wheat from Chicago to Buffalo. Uh, the discovery was actually made last October during a dive, but officials with the Michigan Shipwreck Association, or MSRA, uh, announced the find. And this they, the article says today, but it was actually April 6th. Um, it's about 20 miles off the Grand Haven coast. Um and they found it with, uh, with uh, sonar, side-scanning sonar with David Trotter. Um, they have actually done a dive in the wreck. Uh, they could only spend 15 
minutes, and then there was a two-hour decompression on the way back up. There is video available which shows the wreck, and it actually is in amazingly good shape for as long as it's been down there. But you know, part of that is being at 350 feet. That's one of the things about the Great Lakes is that these deeper shipwrecks are uh, are some of the only ones that we have left. The the shallower ones that we have, uh, they they just tend to be uh, breaking up. We're calling them rubble wrecks. But you start getting over 200 feet. And uh, some of these older wrecks are still held out in pretty good condition. So it's just making me think it's time to start seriously considering getting that technical certification so I go down and see some of these. Uh, kind of on a related bit, um, not only hunting for shipwrecks, but also for lost aviators. This one's been in and out of the news for a long time. Uh, there's a, a race to find Amelia Earhart. And I don't know why at the 75-year mark it's picking up, but it, it seems to be. Uh, John Thompson, who is uh, recognized as a, as a world traveler and uh, a collector of art, has uh, already participated in two unsuccessful missions to find Amelia Earhart. Uh, he's now 72, uh, fighting prostate cancer, and he's uh, planning on going out uh, two more times this year before he goes and finishes his, his chemotherapy. Um, he says it's a needle in the haystack, but with the technology we have employed and the brains we have informed, if we don't find it, no one will, Thompson said. Theories about what happened, what happened to Earhart and Noonan are varied. Uh, they disappeared while flying out of New Guinea to Howland Island as part of an adventurer's attempt to become the first female pilot to circumnavigate the globe. Last month, the International Group of Historic Aircraft, headed by longtime Earhart seeker Rick Gillespie, said the U.S. State Department analysts of an image off the remote island of uh, Nikumaruo in what the Pacific nation of uh, Kiribati looks like it could be an aircraft landing gear. Now, if you've watched any of the Discovery specials on that, they've they've showed this photo, and it could be an aircraft landing gear, but it could also be the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, it's just a blip on a photo, and it's really hard to see. Uh, but what they're expecting to do is, uh, with the improvements of side scan, they're going to go out and uh, look at the shelf and see if they can pick it up and then they're also planning on, if he doesn't find it then, he'll go out later in the year, and they're going to do some mowing the lawn in some areas. Uh, they've got some ideas based on you know, last contact points and fuel and everything where they think that she may have gone down. You know, eventually, the, they may find it. You know, if this is in the Great Lakes, you know, as time goes on, that stuff just gets buried. It kind of sinks in the bottom. I don't know in the ocean. If a plane, if it, it depends what it did. If it hit the water and it broke up, I think it's going to be incredibly difficult to find any evidence of, of her plane. But uh, you know, it would be nice to, to finalize, get some information on the end of this mystery. Next up is, have we lost another generation? This one's from the Huffington Post. And this article is going on about Generation Z kids. And what they're saying is that uh, Generation Z kids are anybody who's born since the 1990s. Uh, and these are kids who pretty much don't know what it means to go without the web, without connected phones, instant messaging, text messaging, smartphones, tablet computers. They have constant connection to the Internet. Uh, and then they've also grown up in uh, a world where we've had school shootings, global terrorism, and, and climate change. And what this article is recommending, which I advocate, is send your kids off to camp. They're saying that these kids who have lived in a virtual world who are pretty much uh, can at times be largely disconnected from their peers and other people, they're recommending take the kids to camps, uh, that there's many camps out there. 
According to Pew Research Center, they said the wealth gap between younger and older Americans has stretched to the widest margin of records, and Americans 65 years and older have an average net worth 47 times of those of people 35 and younger. Uh, they said, so what's happening is there's a bunch of kids out there that can't afford to go to camp, which means Americans are shortchanging this generation. So uh, they're saying, they, and maybe this is sponsored by the American Camp Association, which is a nonprofit group that supports camps like the Salvation Armies, Girl Scout camps, Boy Scout camps, YMCA, 4-H. Uh, but they're, they're talking about these, these kids need to go out. And what I thought was interesting and that I completely agree with is the recommended scuba camps. So you've got scuba camps, rock climbing, arts camps. So uh, I think that these type of experiences in the future, if we're to fast forward 10, 15, 20 years from now, you're going to see these experiences, you know, the real experiences. These kids, they've, they've had, they're going to have 15, 20 years of virtual experiences, which as computers advance and they can render things in 3D, that they're going to crave real experiences, which they're not getting with the online games, no matter how real you make it. Uh, I don't think in our lifetime we're actually going to see the full, rich experience where you're going to have tactile and smell. So, you know, camping, hiking, scuba diving uh, are all going to become sports that these Generation Z kids are going to hunger for. So we need to get them started now. And then uh, just be prepared for the future when when they're going to start craving this as they start become affluent. I I don't you know believe that uh, I, I think our, the country's best years are ahead of us and the world's best years are ahead of us, and that uh, prosperity will come. We're just kind of in a down cycle. If you look through uh, history, you're going to see these depressions and recessions come in cycle, and we're just in a in a natural occurrence, completely avoidable, but it is to be expected. And then this one's a press release. Uh, this is Brownie, who we've covered. It seems like just about every week they have a new press release. And uh, some of them we haven't covered. They've, they've offering new distribution networks. But this one is a marketing program they're doing. And uh, you know, I, would, I would like to get people's opinions on whether they think this is good for scuba diving. Uh, what Brownie is launching is uh, they make surface-supplied air or hooker rigs. So what they're trying to do is come with a licensed program uh, to promote hookah rig diving. And as soon as this article finally comes up, yeah, Chris in the chat room is saying, you kidding me? I, I laid waste to an orc and I can smell his hair burning. <laughs> oh, come on, Internet. Okay, here we go. So what Brownies Marine is launching is the I Took a, a Dive. Is that the, I don't know, for some reason, I just that song, I Kissed a Girl, comes to mind. Uh, I don't I have no idea why, but the uh, Brownie Marine Group, uh, they're, what they're trying to do is they're trying to create a new resort operator dive experience. So I think what they're trying to do is compete with like Snuba, and the product is called is named Tuka Tank Supplied Hookah, and they've already signed up their first location on Singer Island near West Palm Beach, Florida. The program offers beachgoers and tourists the opportunity to enjoy the simplicity and marvel of surface-applied air and diving underwater tours with the assistance of professional instructors. Um, yeah, and, of course, they're talking about all the technical things, more PR, uh, their Peloton hose system, quick-release swivel valves. Uh, so they've said the program has been in beta operation since the initial announcement of the product at an annual industry dive show in 2010. Easter weekend marks the official launch to the general public. Uh, Singer Island represents the ideal location to kick off Tuka program. On one side of the island is the world-famous Blue Herring Bridge. 
the ideal drive to beach with a spectacular underwater park where people come all over the world to see nudibranches, branches, octopus, frogfish, seahorses, and dozens of other small creatures that are rarely seen elsewhere in the world. On the beach side of Singer Island, there are several hundred yards of reef rising up to eight feet off the bottom, less than 15 feet of water close to shore. On an island, tourists flow between 6,000 and 10,000 new people every two weeks. So this spectacular opportunity to introduce some of Florida's most beautiful underwater sites to non-divers. A little more effort is required to to enjoy a Disney ride. And this is according to Don Volker. He said, unlike scuba diving requires a very complex buoyancy compensator, gauge skills, and heavy equipment that isn't necessarily mastered people, these skills prior to taking Tuka dive. So what, what's the consensus in the chat room? Do we think that Tuka is an advantage for the scuba diving, or do we think that some people are just going to do this and say, that's good enough, why am I going to mess with it? Yeah, Jeff in the chat room is saying in place of a compressor, it's using a tank. Uh, Brownie has both options. Uh, but you you can do it with a tank. I the the thing with a tank, I would think that would come under scuba diving. I don't know because I I think there are specific ex- exemptions for hooker rig diving. But as soon as you put a tank on it, I don't know if since the tank's above water, if that would not require the certification. But then also you've got resort courses too, so maybe they get around it by uh, having a, a dive master who's going to help. Lynch diver, uh, isn't that what Billy was doing on his commercial rig? I'm I'm not sure what you mean there. Jeff is saying in the chat room it might get some people interested in doing real scuba, and and that's what I'm hoping for. Uh, unfortunately, I think out where we're here in Michigan, we don't have enough to see at shallow enough depths where that type of rig is going to be attractive. Uh, I've thought about it for for grubbing in some of the shallow parts of the river. I think a Hooker rig is, would be great, and we do have some some members of the dive club who aren't scuba certified who have done some hook hooker rig diving, but we you know even though we're not trained people to be offering scuba classes, uh, we have had to give some unofficial advice to hookah divers. Otherwise, they could kill themselves. Uh, you, you can't substitute for some sort of training. Uh, Chris is saying that it's going to be just a little bit more of a hassle to get some people. Uh, prepped or more. Yeah, it could be. It, it very well could be a hassle. Uh, you know, I think what's attractive about hooker diving in general is uh, you can breathe on the way down and you can go down with less air. And maybe that's what they mean by not needing to have to worry about buoyancy because uh, you, you still have to be concerned with it. I mean, there's going to be some of us bigger people are going to need a little bit of weight to get down. Uh, you know, you, yeah. Maybe they, they limit the depths at which they go. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how this, this program eventually plays out. And then last on the news for this week, we have experts out to solve a deep-sea mystery in the USS Scorpion. And uh, while this one loads up, we'll, we'll give the chat room a chance to follow it. Uh, this one is, is very close to me. I didn't actually have anybody any family members on the Scorpion, but my dad during this time was in the Navy. He was on uh, the USS Flying Fish, which is a nuclear fast attack submarine. And uh, this, uh, the Scorpion, USS Scorpion, went down days before I was born. So this went down May 22nd, 1968. And I was born uh, about you know, 17, 18 days later. The Scorpion was lost in May 22nd, 1968, killing 99 men, 
400 miles south of the Azores Island in the middle of the Atlantic. The sub has been inspected by undersea recovery teams, including a visit in 1985 by oceanographer Robert Ballard again, before his team's discovery of the Titanic. That was one of the things they were doing. The Titanic was a cover story, which he also believed he was going to be able to find when he was actually looking for this. The cause of the sub's loss remains hotly disputed. The Navy Courts of Inquiry found the cause of loss cannot be definitely ascertained. The families of those 99 men are still out there, and they want to know what happened, says former U.S. Navy officer Paul Boyne, who presented a new mechanical explanation for the loss of sub in, at a recent maritime forensic symposium outside of Washington. The panels of the event called for the uh, expedition to the sub's wreck. Uh, you know, there's some uh, rumors saying that it could have been a, a covert Soviet attack to a torpedo self-firing into the ship to a faulty trash disposal. Uh, evidence for a more mundane ex- explanation comes from the sub's propeller shaft, Boyne says. Photographs show it rests about 20 yards outside the wreck on the seafloor at about 11,220 feet underwater. Uh, Boyne suggests that rubber bearings uh, holding the propeller shaft failed, putting stress on the coupling, connecting it to the engine. The coupling's bolt failed catastrophically during a deep dive test. The theory goes spilling water in the sub too rapidly allowed ballast maneuvers to raise the ship to the surface. So they're going to go out and uh, see if they can figure it out. There's also a conspiracy theory that uh, people say that they know exactly what happens and they don't want the information to come out. Yeah, I, I agree. Somebody in the chat room is saying that a good x-ray scan could determine the cause of the wreck. Uh, that could. I don't, I don't know if they're if they're in a condition where they want to raise it. It's, you know, it's been down there for 43 years. Uh, I'm, I don't know what kind of condition it is, if it's all in one piece, if they could bring it up. Um, you know, and, and, and with something, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see if the families would be willing to let a wreck like that come be brought to the surface. I, I think they should. Uh, I'd be all for it. Yeah, Lynch Divers asking, don't they have underwater scans? I believe they, they do have, uh, uh, have done some underwater scanning. Well, that does it for the news this week. Uh, as we talk about last week's dives, uh, we didn't actually get any in. Um, it seems like I've spent every moment from when we recorded last week. Uh, I apologize for the sound quality of last week's episode. It took me four days to edit. As we were recording that, I don't know if you were able to hear in the background, but there are screen doors and car doors slamming. We're in a screen room, which... Earlier in the week, I had scoped out and said, you know, this is going to be a great place to record because everybody goes in at dark, nobody comes out, we'll sit out there, have a few drinks, do the podcast, and we're all set. Well, it just so happened that we were leaving the next morning, and uh, you know, I'm not going to complain because the wives were loading up the vehicle and getting everything all ready, but they insisted on doing it right during the podcast so you could hear the screen doors screeching and the doors slamming. So it took a little bit to try and edit out that background noise. Uh, they did an excellent job. And, and then afterwards, I was hoping to edit it, but uh, I was getting the evil eye, which means I had to go and get everything loaded. So I spent the next two hours sweating and uh, loading up the vehicle for a 22-hour drive back. Actually, I think it might have been a little bit more than 22 hours on the road. Uh, Atlanta. Who invented Atlanta traffic? I, that was just crazy. And I'm almost ashamed to say I saw most in almost every spot where it was congested Michigan license plates. So you can't blame the locals down there. They're probably swearing that Michigan doesn't know how to drive. And I'm, I'm tended to agree with them. There was a lot of Michigan plates. It was like a convention. It's like the only people come to Florida from Michigan and Wisconsin. 
so I, I've spent most of that time editing. I still have a lot of photos to put up. Uh, you can follow us on the Scuba Obsessed website. Make sure you go there, www.scubaobsessed.com. Also, we have mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. And between the two, we're going to have more postings. Also, we like to get some, if you listen to the show, make sure you like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. Somebody in the chat room is saying the drive with a boat is 27 hours. You know, I have to, we were actually thinking about that. You know, do we, is it worth taking a boat down there or uh, renting it? Uh, but, uh, you know, we had a, had a blast doing that diving last week. Uh, but I'm still editing, still, still putting those uh, photos up. Uh, tonight, as I had said earlier, Mac and Jim are at a presentation of the, a new exhibit in the Coloma Library. And I don't believe anybody got out. There was some talk about people going out Sunday and do some diving, but I don't believe that they did. Uh, I'm also seeing some reports that the lake has flattened down a little bit. We've had clear nights the last two nights. So if you had an inboard and it was you put it in the water and didn't drain it out, you were at risk for freezing. It got down to 27 degrees last night. Uh, it's warming up to about 50 during the day. So, you know, you, you might be okay, but it's still get a chance of some freezing. So I'm hoping that we're going to be able to get out in the big lake and do some diving. I just feel like uh, time's ticking away. Here we are almost a month from our first dive two years ago. Uh, we're about on track for last year at this time. We got our first dive on Lake Michigan, actually on Max Rec. And then we have people in the chat room telling me about all the great dives they're getting in. So I am jealous. I did get a bunch in last week, but I'm ready for some more this week. Uh, is, is there anybody who's got any questions in the chat room? Anybody wanted to come on for a moment and talk about some of the diving that they've been doing? If you're missing out, if you haven't been coming into the live chat room, you're missing out. We have, oh, Dave just signed in. Uh, they, they always seem to have a good old time. And actually, I'm, you know, with, with no other guests on the show, I have plenty of time to watch the uh, chat room. Yeah, the, the people talking about that, it was Easter last week. And that's what kind of did it for me. And we... Yeah, it, when we weren't planning on being in town till the end of Easter, and we get in early, I'm thinking all this time. But those family obligations come right on back to you when you get in town. In town, so I uh, got in town. Uh, gosh, I I rolled in. My goal was to make it home before the sun come up. I did not want to see the sun come up another day and still be driving the road. So I was in bed probably five minutes before the sun came up, and then about four hours later, my wife woke me up and said we're going over to her family. So we went and did that on Saturday and Sunday we had Easter. There was some talk of diving in that in the afternoon. I haven't heard if anybody was able to get a dive in. I don't think they they were able to. Well, this week's going to be a little bit of a short show. Uh, We'll make it up next week. I've got a list of guests I want to get on and I need to be calling them. So hopefully I can get that done this week. Uh, Also, we'll have some more postings up on the website, so keep your eyes out for them. We love those five-star reviews. If you get a chance, head on over to iTunes. Uh, We've also updated the RSS feed, so if you like uh, RSS feeds as a way of keeping in connection, uh, you can do that in the Scuba Obsessed website. You click on RSS and it'll bring it up. We've got uh, new uh, feeds going on, which give you some more options on syncing either for listening to the podcast or just following those articles. Okay. Uh, since nobody with a working microphone <laughs> is, is is interested in coming on, we're just going to go ahead and end it. And I actually, I think I have one of the best scuba jokes or worst, whichever your opinion is, that we have ever had on the show. So we're going to go and start that one off. So everybody at home, go ahead and hold on. Uh, 
I don't think you need to cover your kids' ears, but uh, I'll I'll let you make the decision. A minister decided that a visual demonstration would add emphasis to his Sunday sermon. Four worms were placed into four separate jars. The first worm was put into a jar, a jar that contained alcohol. The second one was put into one of cigarette smoke. The third worm was put into a container of water. The fourth worm was put in, into a container of good, clean soil. At the conclusion of the sermon, the minister reported the following results. The first worm in alcohol, dead. The second worm in cigarette smoke, dead. The third worm in water, dead. The fourth worm in good, clean soil was alive. So the minister asked the congregation, what did you learn from this demonstration? A diver was sitting in the back and quickly raised his hand and said, as long as you drink, smoke, and dive, you won't have worms. See, I didn't, I didn't think that one was too bad. So again, we appreciate everybody listening. Until next week, go out there and get wet and dive safe. So, Chris, you had... Call recording has been completed. Howdy, howdy. Did I miss the joke? You did miss the joke. Damn it. It was a good one, too. (laughs) Well, they're all good. I didn't think I'd be gone this long, and otherwise I'd let you know. Well, I I kind of figured you were were at the... uh,